0: Namaste. Welcome to Call and Response Podcasts with Krishnadas, where he shares meaningful stories of his life on the path, of his Guru Maharaji, and integrating spiritual practice into our everyday lives. Call and Response Podcasts is an offering of the Kirtanwala Foundation. The foundation is dedicated to spreading the teachings of Neem Karoli Baba, a great spiritual teacher of India.
1: it's more like an ability to let go.
2: So, um, the, the premise of this workshop and tonight, which is based on the new book, is looking at the strands of creative expression, spiritual practice and alignment, involving and outer activity, livelihood, those three strands. So why did I write about that? Because I've been really, in a way, juggling those three elements in my life for 45 years. I met my teacher, Trungpa Rinpoche, when I was uh, at Berkeley College of Music, studying yoga at the same time. And it takes time to do spiritual practice. Some people go quite deeply into it. It takes time to have a music career. And then we always have, you know, the sort of ongoing relationship to livelihood. What we call in Buddhism, right livelihood, which we can talk about a little bit more. So I found, and in working on that puzzle myself, I would talk to a lot of people, you know, I'm mentoring a lot of students, and there's always, it lights up people's uh, uh, interest, because I know a lot of people, for example, who are trying to start yoga studio or, um, you know, kind of a kirtan band, for that matter, or um, a fitness, mindful fitness studio. And they often will be at a loss as to how to manage the business aspect of that. And what ends up happening is it runs aground at a certain point. So a lack of relationship to those, to that kind of practical um, aspect, which we call Earth, they have a lot of heaven, a lot of vision, but not much connection to the earth. And on the other hand, we go to the other part of the world that I occupy, and people are very competent and sort of together, like the people you met today, but they may not have much uh, direct connection with creative expression in their lives. And also, um, you know, the idea of meditating or something like that is seen, seen as kind of a waste of time. Like, why would you do I've like, um, I've got to address 450 lawyers next week. And then people are telling me, you better do it quick. You better get to the point really quick. They're going to want to know why they're spending even five minutes doing something like this. So I see, just from where I sit, these two worlds, like it's like two gigantic ocean liners coming together, and they're about to crash into each other. So I thought it might be good to throw some lines back and forth between those two and open dialogues of all kinds. Um, and then, of course, it takes different, you know, Um, people have different focus, so with K.D., you know, K.D., I think the channel of of creativity um, is something I wanted to kind of get into, And, and also the spiritual practice, because he's one of the few people I know, actually, who makes a living doing spiritual practice with music. There aren't that many people doing that. He's a pioneer in a way. So um, that's all he does, that's what he does, for. that's his gig. So um, I wanted to sort of look at it like what's the difference, KD? I'm going to start with this between, in your mind, if there is one, between secular music and sacred music.
1: What's the difference?
2: Between sec- secular and sacred music.
1: Well, sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. <laughs> It's not the music in itself, it's the intention with which you either listen or do music. If the intention is to make beautiful sounds and even, you know, if music itself was spiritual practice by itself, every musician would be happy, I don't think so. So it's not enough just by itself, it's how you come to it and how you listen to it.
2: is every kirtan singer happy? Huh? Is every kirtan singer happy? God forbid.
1: <laughs> it's a question of what a person brings to the practice. You know, a person's, for instance, all I can do is talk about myself, which is all I do anyway. <laughs> so when I sing with people, I'm only sharing the practice that I do for myself. I'm not. There's no intention to uh, make anything happen for those people in the room singing with me. I'm simply sharing what I do with my own mind and my own heart. And if I was at all focused on whether they like it or they don't like it, or what should I do to get them off? you know, How could that happen for anybody? It couldn't happen because you'd feel manipulated. And as soon as a person feels manipulated, their hearts close down. So, popular music and entertainment is all about manipulating the emotions and the senses and getting pleasure from it, getting some kind of experience from it, usually some kind of pleasurable experience. But chanting and spiritual practice is not about that. It's becoming aware of whatever's going through your awareness and then letting it go and coming back to the chant. Because the chant that I the chants that I do are mantras and mantras and what they call in India they call the names of God. But you know, it's not some God up in the sky, it's the presence that lives within us, our own true nature. So when we chant, even if the music is beautiful and pleasant, uh, the point simply is to pay attention and to keep coming back to the sound of the mantra and the sound of the music. But you'll notice you can't. So you have to keep coming back. You notice you, you're in a room with a 1,000 people, and everybody's singing, and you're reviewing the shopping list for tomorrow. you know. And you could be gone for, for like 20 minutes. And then you realize, oh, I'm supposed to be paying attention. And then you come back. That's what essentially makes it a spiritual practice. That your deal is that you make with yourself is that you're going to let go of your thoughts, let go of all that stuff, and keep coming back to the present moment, which you use the sound of the chant to anchor yourself in that.
2: So, Katie, that's very similar to the instruction, isn't it similar to the? the,
1: Yeah, it's very similar.
2: Yeah. What's the difference?
1: Ah, that's a good question.
2: In other words, in shamite, you're using the breath as the way of coming back, and and in this one, you're using the mantra to come back.
1: You know, we come from slightly different lineages in this respect. And where I come from, they say that these sounds, or these names, or these mantras, actually carry uh, a magnetism, in a sense, that attracts the attention. And and helps you enter a more deeper awareness of you in your own being. It's not simply a breath, but that there's actually something about this that uh, adds a dimension to it. From my from from my side of the story, uh, for instance, you may have a guru or a teacher or a deity that you love, that you feel. Uh, some attraction to. So you can repeat the name of that deity or that being. And the idea is that because it feels good, because you have love and affection for that person or that being, the mind will tend to stay there more easily. Because we, we, our minds stay on what we love, usually, very much more easily. You know, like when you fall in love with somebody, the first three days are fantastic. You can't even read the paper. But after that, life kicks back in, and then you have to start practice again. So the breath is a very powerful anchor for awareness. And of course, this is a moot point, because they do come together, ultimately. It's just the approach, different personalities like different things.
2: Well, so in a way, you're saying it's it has a shamatha element to it. Absolutely. And then yeah. it has an extra kind of it has, kick of, of drawing. You, you know,
1: yeah, it's one thing to go back to
2: the breath, which is kind of a neutral experience in a way. In a way. But to yeah. go back to like a mantra or a visualization of a deity or yeah. you know, the, the sense of the guru or whatever, has a, a more magnetism to it, more, more drawing.
1: You know? Yeah, it's, it can be conceptual, whereas the breath it tends not to be conceptual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the mantras, although you, you, you're not supposed to be thinking about something, but the juice that's generated by that love connection, or that devotional connection, or that uh, deep connection, there's a juice generated by that that helps you uh, overcome a lot of distractions and obstructions in Croatius.
2: You know, by coincidence today, I'm not even sure where I saw this, but um, you were quoting your teacher, Maharaji, you know, Neem Baba, and maybe it was on your Facebook post or something today. Courage, he said, courage is extremely important. Yeah, it was sort of out of the blue that that message came through mm. because obviously that's um, yeah that's. Uh, you know, he said a lot of great things, but that I never heard that one before. Oh, bravery! You know, I, I heard, heard it. it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he told me that one time. Uh, it's a long story, but we had he had disappeared as he tended to do. He would run away from everybody, but we found out where he was and we found him in Bombay, which is now Mumbai, but at the time it was called Bombay. And uh, anyway, so we would spend all day with him. Uh, just sitting around, and one day he looked at me and said, you have attachment, you have to go back to America. <laughs> now, I'd been in India two and a half years, and I was never planning to go back to America. It was the last thing on my mind. And he himself had actually allowed, you know, made, made it possible for me to stay. He kept me there. Otherwise, I would have been thrown out. My visa was finished. Uh, so he looked at me and said, you have to go back to America. You have attachment there. I was like, I, I couldn't even speak, I couldn't. My mind had not even gone back to America in two years, you know. I would speak like this, hello, Dan, just coming, now going, thank you very much, yes, good, very good. And uh, really, I was totally Indianized. So later that day, we're sitting with him, and a couple of hours went by, he was just lying on the bed, he would sit up, he'd lie this way, all of a sudden he sits up and he looks at me really, powerfully, and he says, Courage is a really big thing. And the Indian guy there said, Oh, Baba, God takes care of his devotees. He kind of sneered at him. And he looks back at me and said, Courage is a really big thing. You know, my first reaction was like, What's going to happen? i <laughs> But uh, he was right. I mean, there were times that all I had was the vague, distant memory of those words. It was enough to keep me from jumping off a cliff. Yeah. Or driving off a cliff. Or falling off a cliff. <laughs> Stumbling off a cliff. <laughs> Flying off a cliff. Yeah. You know, but. And also, when I, for instance, when I started to sing with people, nobody was doing it. I just had to do it, I knew I had to do it. Uh, I had been in my apartment in the city at the time, and I was very, very unhappy, very dark space. And I walked from one room to the other, and I was struck with, a, with a, like a lightning bolt. And at that moment, I, I knew it, it was like, I have to sing with people. And if I don't sing with people, I'm never going to clean out the dark corners in my own heart. And the understanding was that those dark places were the only thing that was causing me suffering. So either I had to get with the program or not. Uh, Took me a little while to get with the program, but I got with it. So once again, the the motivation was not for anybody else, but it was simply to save my own house.
2: And you pioneered. I mean, I I don't know how many, if everybody's aware of the fact that nobody else was doing what you were doing. Is bringing that tradition into the West,
1: yeah. setting it to Western
2: melodies and, and yeah. harmonies, and then just uh, schlepping around, playing for six people or eight people or twelve people or a thousand people. You know, um, so you, you almost, you know, this is something in the music world. We say there's uh, people who create genre. You know, like uh, Bill Monroe or somebody like that created bluegrass. Yeah. Or, or Miles Davis created a certain type of jazz. Yeah. So you, you created this genre, and it's evolved. Uh, it's interesting, we're going back and listening to some of the early records, right, for the concerts Friday and Saturday. Yeah, it's
1: 20 years old.
2: And, and you have any flashbacks listening to that stuff? Or,
1: I listened to it once. I kind of barfed. <laughs>
2: really? I, yeah. It's interesting, because coming back to the sacred and secular, um, it, there were two good friends of mine who came to a concert in LA, Kirtan in LA, that we did um, maybe five years ago, and um, th- these are two guys I have, have done recorded with as the Bayman Brothers, uh, and it's Christopher Guest and CJ Vanston from Spinal Tap, and we have a kind of acoustic uh, record and acoustic band that we did, and they came, you know, as guests, and they had no idea what this is, you know, that wasn't, wasn't part of their purview, and Chris said, he could have been one of those guys, you know, Katie could have been one of those guys, you know, Bruce Springsteen or a uh, um, Van Zandt, or um, you know, you can you can run down the list of the names. And was he was just checking the quality of your your vocal power and uh, ability to you know to just render a beautiful melody and sing it. And then C.J., who's a bit more of a cut-up, said he uh, and he knew nothing about this kind of chanting structure. He he. Uh, said to me, he said, you know, I really thought of walking up to the stage at some point, and he also played in a lot of R&B bands, and he said, and throwing a $20 bill down on the stage, and he's go to the bridge already. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: so, and, you know, so this, this still lingers with me, because I'm probably more of a hybrid in terms of my music sort of going across the boundaries, and I am actively involved with secular music and, you know, pop records and, and um, film scoring and TV scoring. And it's, it's been my livelihood to, 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 to play music and to try to make cool music. Uh, and it's interesting, like, for example, when you said you're not doing it for a response, that was interesting to hear. Yeah. Like, and when we play the kirtans, at the end of it, one of the best moments yeah. is the, what they'd call a taria. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's empty. So we've been playing like And then it's like, everybody's just sitting there like, it drops people into a very meditative space. Yeah. And, and you can and,
1: feel the, the, the silence that surrounds all the sound. Yeah. The silence that surrounds all thought, also. Yeah.
2: So, but I always wonder, you know, with KD, like, you know, we, we all have choices that we make. And one choice that you made, KD, was to not go into that realm and at certain point you sort of were thinking about right going into that realm as a famous story. Yeah,
1: I love it when people give me credit for shit that I had nothing to do with.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But
1: it wasn't true. I I would have fully gone for it. I had been in a I had played music with these guys who later became a very well known band. And the guy and then I they were just getting into smoking dope, and I was just finishing with that. So this is like 100 years ago, and uh, so we didn't. I kind of went my own way, and they went their own way. Then years later, I was on my way up to uh, sp- move uh, to spend time with Ramdas in uh, up in Vermont, not Vermont, New Hampshire. And this was a big thing for me. I was leaving the whole school thing. I'd been in college, and for a few minutes now and then. And I was going up to live with him. So I had all my two dogs, my cat, and all my worldly possessions in my car. And I drove down from New Paltz to Stony Brook for a Jimi Hendrix concert.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and then after the
1: concert, everybody's hanging out. And the manager of the band came to me, and he said, the guy who replaced you, we have, we have all the tracks cut for us a record. Haha, <laughs> Remember records? And the guy who replaces you as a singer can't sing in the studio. He just can't do it. Will you come back and cut the tracks? We have a tour and the whole thing. Now, this is what I would die for. <coughs> I mean, you know, completely. But I had told Ram Dass I was coming. I had moved out of my cabin in the woods. I had quit my job as a, the hippie bus driver, <laughs> and I was on my way up to there. And you know, it was the middle of the night. I had no options. You know. So I said, yeah, you know, I can't do it. And I went that way, and they went a lot of ways. You, you zigged and they zagged. Huh? You zigged and they zagged. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But they, they had a nice run. But uh-huh. I know that if I had gone that way, I would have been dead in a couple of years. I just didn't have the, the structure to live through that kind of stuff. It was too. What would you have died of? What's what?
2: What would you have died of?
1: Oh, so <laughs> <laughs> I can name a few different things. But, yeah. huh.
2: Too much fun. Basically. Too much fun. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Too much fun has been killing me lately. <laughs>
0: um,
2: yeah, so it's um, kind of a parallel universe. Um, just. It's kind of an interesting parallel that um, you know I was in LA in '76 yeah. and I was uh, kind of very focused on career and I had you know a big hit record that I wrote and then I was getting film scores and you know recording sessions and stuff and in the middle of that my teacher, which was Chogyam Trungpa, uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, said, "Okay, I want you to go and be the director of Karma Chilling Meditation Center in Vermont." So that was like somebody unplugging your amp while you were playing off solo. <laughs> a little bit. And I had to decide, you know, and, and a, lot of, a lot of that is sort of resident in this book here of like, you're making choices. Uh, and I went from a house on, on Mulholland Drive and moved into two little rooms in Karma Chilling that were the size of the closets, basically, uh, in the house that I left. And it changed my trajectory Um, But I never just, like you did, I never just went, okay, I'm just going to be a Buddhist priest now or a monk, you know, a a practitioner. Well, for one thing, as you know, the Buddhists don't really have great tunes. We rely on you people for the songs. (laughs) We don't have great tunes, the Buddhists, you know. All the Buddhists come to Katie, can you write me a song?
1: But, you know, funny thing Impermanence, <laughs> you've got impermanence, you know. <laughs> Jimmy Durante, Bruce, uh, <laughs> the <set. laughs> uh, The funny thing is, everything, everything I wanted, I imagined I would get from being a rock and roll star, you know, all that, I get now. And it's good for me. How weird is that? It's so weird, I can't even believe it. And, <laughs> I can do it sitting down. <laughs> I don't have to stay in shape and jump up all down the stage and everything. It's amazing. I mean, the the what I imagined, how I imagined I would feel if I became a you know a, a rock and roll star. That's included in this. It's strange.
2: It is it's really strange. interesting. That it's, part of it's really interesting. Yeah. You have all the yeah. accoutrement. The uh, you know, it draws a lot of energy and attention towards your your offering. And um, lots of people are coming. They uh, look to you to provide an experience for them that's, you know, kind of uplifting and elevating. Um, yeah, so that's interesting. So they came together in a, in a certain way, right? They came together. Those, it, it those came two strands are, are kind of unified. Um, and then the third piece is the livelihood piece, which is, it's, you know, I kind of thought, oh, I can't talk to KD about business, that's just not going to happen, you know. But I started thinking about it, that the, um, the, the KD uh, world has a lot of people in it. It's run kind of, Nina's sort of the manager of the yeah. situation. Nina Rao well, couldn't come tonight, but most of you know her.
1: She has two assistants.
2: Yeah, I mean, you got an organization, and <laughs> of that I work for a lot of different people, yours is one of the cleaner ones. And what? It's clean. Your organization's clean. You yeah. do what you say you're going to do, buses show up, hotel rooms are there, you get paid. It's like it's actually a really kind of well-run um, aspect of, of what's going on. And that's one of the things I talk about in the book, too, is ethical conduct when you're doing yeah, that. we things.
1: never sign, we, we don't have contracts with people, we yeah. don't sign contracts. We've only been ripped off twice in all these years.
2: Uh, you don't have contracts for any of the gigs
1: that you do? No, we got. Wow. <laughs> no riders
2: for those little sandwiches without the... Um...
1: Just, just the red M&Ms, that's all. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: that's interesting. Just so, and in all this time, you, you never needed it? No, only twice in all these years has, have we been ripped off. Wow. It's amazing.
2: Interesting, but you clarify the terms of engagement, right? It's clear. You might have an email. Yeah, to there's a basic
1: deal, but it's not like we, we don't sign contracts, right. and you know, and we don't we don't ask for guarantees either. In mm-hmm. other words, we go somewhere and people don't show up. Nobody gets paid.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like R and B to me, but, no, yeah. but so. I mean, it's
1: not like you know. Usually, you have a contract that the promoter has to pay you X amount of money. But we don't do that because if they don't make money, why how why should we make money? But it's never been an issue. <laughs> so far.
2: Yeah. So then when it comes to you know Katie and I which is um, pretty typical for our community, there's the sort of the bhakti yogis. Um, and then there's the Buddhists. right? We always hang out as a tribe. Both tribes, those tribes are very close, so when we go to the we're retreats... They intermingle. They intermingling, yeah. We kind of have, um, what would you call it, uh, children, you know, that are half and half. Um, but in Maui, the retreats that we do, there's always a, a very well-known Buddhist teacher, and um, you go to a lot. Of, what, are you, what were you doing last week? You were, you were studying with Sobhny Yeah, Sobhny Rinpoche. Yeah. <laughs> So of course, there's always a little gentle playing back and forth about metaphysical or philosophical stuff. Um, so and I could sum it up for our students here, it's like their, mantra, their, their uh, logo is all one, it's all one. Would you say that? You say that a lot. It's all well, Maharaj one. used
1: to say that. He would, you know, he was a very unusual being. He didn't teach, he didn't write books, he didn't initiate people. He just gave you more puris and potatoes that you could eat in a million years and then told you to go away.
2: <laughs> but you could come back, but you had
1: to go away, or at least for a minute. you know.
2: Maybe I should do that at the, uh, this weekend in the meditation program. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> you know. Just give people a lot of potatoes and puris and tell them to go away. Yeah. <laughs> and then I can come and play with you.
1: <laughs> just make sure you have a contract.
2: Mm.
1: But um, we used to sit with him, and he would just look at us, and he'd go and you you know the thing is you see and you have to take my word for this at least you have to listen to what I'm going to say you don't have to believe me but he knew everything everything he knew how many pieces of toast you had on the day of your bar mitzvah 400 years ago he knew everything (laughs) everything he knew what was going to happen he knew what you were thinking right now and he knew what he had done so when he goes like this we thought like Shit, what am I getting busted for? Mm-hmm. Something I did? Mm-hmm. Something I'm going to do? Or something I'm thinking of doing?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so finally somebody says to him, Baba, what does it mean when you do this? And he goes...
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and we said, what does that mean? He said, many names, many forms, all one. Oh, okay. Uh, so.
2: And so, of course, this is a trigger for anybody who's studied Buddhism, because um, that's, that's a particular school, actually, within Buddhism, called Yogacara. It's like Zen is based on it. Yeah. The oneness, the big mind. Yeah. So then after that, there was a school, the middle way school, which is kind of Madhyamaka, it's called. And we say, not one and not two. So that's, a, a, that's kind of the take on. If you fixate on the oneness of it, then you miss the diversity. If you fix it on the diversity, you miss the, the uh, interconnection of it. So we have that conversation, and then I would say to Katie, but Katie, if it's all one, then I give me the keys to your house, and give me the keys to your car, and let me have your bank account. But I say to people, he's the only person I won't have that argument with because he would do it. <laughs> <laughs> he would win. My winter jacket was given to me by K.D. You know, so I think we don't really take it that seriously because at the end of the day, you you didn't really hear it here, but it is all one.
1: He, Mara didn't say it's all one.
2: No, yeah. that okay. would be
1: ek. Okay, just she all just one. He just said all one. Ah, that's interesting. He was a little bit more subtle. Than yeah, that's one. very subtle. All one. And then when we ask him, well, you know, how do we, he seems to like us. Okay, how do we find God? You know, How do we get to it? He would say, uh, serve people. Excuse me? Serve people? What do people have to do with it? (laughs) I mean, you know, we were young. We wanted to do kundalini. That kind of stuff. So we said, how do you raise kundalini? He said, feed people. What? He never encouraged us to do spiritual practice for the sake of our own, quote, unquote, enlightenment. When I was going to kill myself one time,
2: one of the times, one know? of the times, in the temple,
1: I was having a complete nervous breakdown, hallucinating, flipped out of my mind. I ran up to see him, and he, he says, what are you going to do? Jump in the river? Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't taking it very seriously. Mm-hmm. He said, you can't die. Worldly people don't die. Only Jesus died the real death. What? Is this little Hindu guy wrapped up in a blanket talking to me about Jesus? Only Jesus died the real death. Why? Because he never thought of himself. In other words, in that being, thoughts of me no longer arose. There was nobody, to, what are you going to do? Why would you drop, why would you try to hurt the body when you're not identified with it at all? So he was just very unusual that way.
2: So you could uh, hear about that, and I guess some people have. They go into charity work or you know, trying to feed people? Do you-
1: people are doing all kinds of things. Everybody mm-hmm. found their own. You know, he never told people what to do. Very rarely mm-hmm. tells you what to do. Um, Part of the deal seemed to be you had to find out what you wanted to do yourself. That would be that would keep you and bring to you, bring to your life the things that you wanted. You know, some people do charity work. Some people do uh, medical health work. Some people uh, teach children. Some people don't do a damn thing. except smoke dope. You know. Everybody's finding their own thing, and I had to. He never told me to sing with people. He never no. said go forth and multiply. You know, I had to. I had to find what what worked for me, what was going to do it for me. So it took me a long time. It took me 20 years, 21 years to sing with people after he died. You um, didn't even start for
2: 21 years.
1: He left the body in '73, and I didn't start singing with people in what I considered to be the right way. For 21 years, till 1994.
2: Wow. What were you doing in there? Oh, okay. <laughs>
1: Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. Well, so this this idea of an offering is something
2: that comes up um, in in the book, and you know, the the book has a workbook so you can kind of work along with the ideas that are being presented in it, and basically this this um, I want to read a little piece of it called Clarifying Your Offering. And it starts with the idea of heaven and earth before that, which is that you have some kind of vision, you have some kind of uh, sense of a big picture, and then you begin to bring that down to your kind of everyday life level. That's called joining heaven and earth, vision and practicality. So, when we contemplate heaven and earth, remember that there's a third important component in this relationship, humanity. In this traditional view, the job of humans is to join Heaven and Earth, to bring together vision and practicality. As we focus our exploration, I think we'll begin to see that we each have some kind of special offering to make to this world. Perhaps this approach is kind of romantic, and so I can live with that. If we see our existence as some kind of fundamental expression of creativity, it's only natural to conclude that we can and should express ourselves if only in the spirit of call and response. The universe created us. Now we're responding by creating our offering back. Our offering could be art, business, charity, leadership, innovation. That's entirely up to each one of us. We can have a variety of offerings, even a plethora of offerings. The notion here is that we each have some unique expression, idea, presentation that we're inspired to bring out of our inner world and present to our outer world, our family, friends, colleagues, community, society, world, even universe if you want to reach that far. At this point, in terms of the process in the book, we're just trying to feel, to assess what we want to express from our unique perspective. In the next section if we choose, we're going to see what's involved with presenting our offering beyond our intimate world of family and friends. We're going to explore sharing our offering with the bigger world, our community, society, and beyond. Here, though, we're just trying to access our personal Geiger counter and see what we naturally tune into, what intrigues us, what we enjoy communicating with and about, in essence, what floats our boat. So, that's interesting, Kate. I I never heard you say that he didn't sort of set you on that track of singing the kirtan. He never set you on that track of, of singing. Well,
1: vocals. we used to sing to him because he liked to hear mm-hmm. chanting. Uh, we never thought of it as since I was never coming back to America. It wasn't like I was gathering information for a career. <laughs> My uh, high school guidance counselor didn't have Kirtanwala in her book. <laughs> so we, it was just a natural thing. He liked it, and we we liked spending time with him. And there was always we were always trying to get more time. So. If we sang, we knew he would kind of call us, and we'd get to spend more time with him. But it was there was no, no nothing about ever doing it in any other way, nothing at all. And but one thing, funny thing happened. So in Vrindavan, the uh, ISKCON people, the Hare Krishna people, had just Westerners had started coming to India, uh, to Vrindavan, which is a holy city for Krishna. And they were coming there and starting to spend time there. So one of the guys who was hanging out with us had a friend who was a big wig in uh, Iskcon, and he invited them to come to the temple to sing, to chant for Maharajji. So we used to just stand there, and go, Ram, Ram, you know. We had nothing going on. It was very boring, but we did it anyway. No, no, uh, no instruments. We had nothing. Nothing. Nothing, and. Uh, so these guys, they came, about 20 of them, with their drums and their cymbals and their shakers and everything, and they would dancing and singing. And Maharaj, he loved it, right? As soon as they left, he reached into his dhoti and he pulls out 50 rupees. He said, go buy a drum.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and that's where all this came from, that 50 rupees.
2: So it's all a cappella in the beginning.
1: Yeah, nothing going on. We just, you know, it's like crazy.
2: Is there a tradition of kirtan with instruments, though, in India?
1: Eventually we
2: got, well, after that we got a drum. But do the Indians, they use instruments with
1: kirtan? You know, I didn't didn't hear Indian people singing to him that much. It wasn't, it was such a funky scene, you know. People came and went and he'd send people away. One time, one time, uh, one of his old devotees brought a friend of his, who had a different guru, to the temple. And they come up to Maharaj. And Maharaj says, why did you come? Why did you drag this guy here? And he says to the guy, your guru is so good, and at, your, at his temple there's all kinds of kirtan and chanting and everything. He said, here it's just al, cow, jao. Eat, no, come, eat, go. It's <laughs> the way it was there. <laughs> it wasn't a spiritual situation. He said, when you come here, you should feel like you're going to your grandfather's house. <laughs> Everybody, everything is given to you. Food. You don't have to do seva. You know, you go to an ashram, you have to serve before yeah, they yeah. feed you. Not there. Everybody, you know, you didn't do anything. We didn't do anything. It was very unusual. Yeah. The most, mm-hmm. but the main thing mm-hmm. was that the love we experienced was so intimate and so open and so Non-manipulative. It was like he he would open the door to the room where love lives, and we were free to come and go. Mm -hmm. We weren't. He didn't drag us in, but the door was open, and if we wanted to, we could. and, And believe me, when that door is open, you see that you know nothing can keep you out of it, except your own bullshit. So we'd go into the room we'd be with them hanging out everything would be great and then you start thinking about something you said to somebody which was kind of mean and then you start yelling, yelling at yourself in your own mind and all of a sudden you're depressed and you're outside of the room and you're sitting like this you know, everybody around you is laughing and joking and you're just like this you know then you turn your head boom you get hit in the heart with a banana and you're, there, and you go, and you're back in the room you know that's what happened you you, you he let, let us in, we took ourselves out. He let us in, we took ourselves out.
2: It's crazy. So there's a certain um, mood or bath, right, to that experience. That the what? Certain mood. Mood. flavor oh, yeah. it, to that experience. Very s-
1: just sweet and funky
2: yeah. and very... What, what's the closest thing to that now? If somebody said, oh, Katie, that sounds so phenomenal. I wish I could taste that fragrance. Where would you send them?
1: I don't know what to say. And <laughs> <laughs> send them to a mental hospital.
2: Where
1: <laughs> <laughs> they could get good treatment. <laughs> you uh, know uh-huh. so <laughs> When I left America, I never I didn't tell my parents I was never gonna come back, you know. But I and so, I'm there, I'm there in the temple, I'm living in the temple, finally, with Maharaji. He looks at me one morning and said, is your mother coming to India? I said, my mother coming to India? No way. <laughs> oh, okay. Later that day, I get a message from the town. They, they have a message for me. Your mother called. She wants to talk to you. So I went to the town the next day and I called America. In those days you had to call the local operator, who called the town operator, who called the state operator, who called the federal operator, who called the international operator, who called the American operator. It took about three days to get a call for you. So, so I finally got my mother on the phone, and uh, she says, I wanna come see you in India. (laughs) Now, I said to her, If my daughter would ever say to me what I said to her, I would lock her in a room for three years and just give her some rice every day to eat. I said to my mother, I have to ask my guru.
2: (laughs) But he had already told you she's coming.
1: Of course, but I was hoping that something would change that. (laughs) Four down, long yardage, long yardage. So of course he said, "Tell her to come." Mm, you know,
2: as you're talking about that, Katie, I'm thinking, how would that go down today? You would, have would gone over there, and would it would be on Facebook immediately, and everybody would know exactly everything about the whole situation. Yeah, yeah. Like you're, 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 you're um, the the Baba that you yeah. hang out with. He, he, I was. There's a Baba that Katie likes. A young Baba, let him talk about it. But um, I was with. Dr. Rick, who's you know one of our compatriots, and is actually an emergency room doctor, and I was having a kidney stone the last time when we were in Maui, and lying there on the gurney, and then Rick's phone rings, you know, The FaceTime, you know, and it's this Baba from India, <laughs> his face is like this, and going like, Oh, what's going on? How are you doing? FaceTime. <laughs> so FaceTime from India. Yeah, I mean,
1: it's different now. It's very different. In time, he wouldn't let anybody write about him. He, if anybody wrote about him, he he banished them for wouldn't let them come for a long time. But everywhere he went, a city grew up in like five minutes. Yeah. People came from everywhere. How they knew, I don't know. But it's very strange. Now it's very different. But well, yeah. uh, Let's just say that nothing can happen unless it's supposed to happen.
2: Well, how about if we open the floor up, um, and you all could fall through but that's not. Um, <laughs> could just, uh, how do you feel about opening up to some questions, Katie? What? Opening up to some questions from the folks? Open up the concussion?
3: Hi. Hi. Morning. I see you today. Okay. Yeah. What's your name, please? Maura. Maura? Oh, yes. I think the biggest thing that I wonder, and I struggle with, and I'm sure many people do, is how to quiet the chatter, how to get that internal peace and the quiet, to be able to really meditate and get the full benefit of it. That's
2: my question. And who are you addressing it to?
4: I
1: never you, but I think I was speaking this More was there this afternoon. I think I was speaking to A. This afternoon? Yeah, when I, I gave a. Oh driveway, at the at the a, yeah. place, the whatever it was. Yeah. Whatever what was it was, yeah. I do mean, I still don't know where I was or what I said, but it was okay. <laughs> awesome. You hear it, so it must have been good. So you know, this song uh, people ask, you know. The one qualification that I have for any of this stuff is longing, mm. longing to be free, longing to be live fully in that love or that space or that truth all the time. Mm. That's that's what keeps me moving. And um, that song, of course, is really about the longing to be free across the border. No? So you kind of have to get into that. Really experience the need to connect more deeply. And that will naturally open up new directions inside of us. It's not so much about technique or getting any one thing, having any particular type of experience when your ass is on the cushion. It's the rest of your life that comes into focus because you need it to, and not just for five minutes a day or an hour a day. So methods come and methods go. But the, the, the impetus to, to, to get here and to really you know, find what you need is what you really have to kind of dip into. Yeah. It's not a bad thing to feel sad about what you don't have, what you really need. You know, it's a, we want to push those things away, those feelings away, but they're really much deeper feelings than we, than we would think,
2: much more important. And just to, to, since we're joining in the teacher training here, Maura, these the folks have been studying yes. mindfulness meditation. So they could, they could tell you one of the things we recommend is. Don't worry about it so much to to try to blank out the mind. So if you think of the mind as like monkey mind, you know, I'm just using that we're not trying to kill the monkey. You know, so there's this sense of not um, pushing away thoughts, but letting them be. But when you notice, that's the key moment is you notice it. That's the key moment of awareness. And then bring your attention back, but gently and without sort of any kind of you know attempt to conquer it or try to win a game or something like that. So this kind of compassionate attitude is very helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Right, kids? <laughs> 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 so they're all learning, right? Is now. this the
1: Mickey Mouse Club? Yeah.
2: <laughs> 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 it sort of is. <laughs> Hi, this is a question for Krishnadas. Uh,
0: I'm always curious about your guru. Me How too. How did he know that your mother was going to call you? If
1: you knew, and I knew, then we'd have a lot of things going on, but we don't, but he did.
4: And that's nothing.
1: And it's just, so is it the level of, um, I don't know, intellectual, I mean, whatever. It's called a a, a, A a, a, siddhi. One way of looking at it is that it's a siddhi, or a power, that comes to beings who do, Achieve a certain state of being. He was born like that. I'm sorry?
0: He was born like that.
1: He was born. born. Was he born like that? Oh, that's a good question. Um, (coughs) Yes and no. Uh, The way I see it is that we're, just to use some simple analogies, we're trying to kind of get up, you know, raise ourselves up and get into that whole, get up into that life. These great beings are trying to hold that down here for us. It's a whole other ball game. They do their practice. They do their purifications. They do their meditations to anchor that being, that presence, that truth, that reality in this world so we can see it and taste it, and then we know it about it. It's, a, it's like completely different than our, the way we go through our lives. Which is totally self-centered, centered around me and mine and what I want and what I don't want. They don't have that. The great ones. It's different. They're only here for us because we don't know what's going on, and it's very hard to, to believe that. But when you taste what that tastes like, it's just like sugar. People say, you know, it's sweet. It got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but once you taste it, oh, that's what that is. When you really taste that, what that presence is, what those beings are like, what when they laugh, how sweet it is. When they cry, what it, you know, it's a, it's like really, wow, it really exists. It's amazing. And then from that, all these other possibilities open up. But he knew everything. Not only that, he could pretty much do anything. P.S. You know. They say he raised people from the dead, cured diseases, uh, got people jobs and children. And this. you know, In India, especially in the old days, they didn't have doctors, so people would come to yogis for healing. And the yogis know how to do that. One way or another, there are many ways to do those things. It's just another world that not exactly like New York.
2: Could he bowl a three hundred game?
4: He could bowl a five hundred
1: <laughs> without a bowling ball.
2: So again, since we're let me just to add just a little bit, um, these cities, you know, that, that we're talking about, can be a byproduct of deep practice. I don't think you have to be born with them. If you if you, you can, they might arise. As your practice really deepens, but there's a pretty clear prescription about it is to not seek them out. Yeah. And there's a sadhana that says the supernormal powers which need not be sought. And even there's a warning against seeking them because that can be a side path for people on a spiritual path. They just want to do magic. Yeah. And so it's a byproduct and it's not something that you, you would, oh, I, I want to meditate so I can levitate, you know. And you know, how about just learning how to walk? It's, you know, Just walk mindfully about that idea. So yeah, it's it's interesting though, and I still, you know, there are ways to access, right KD? Tell me there is ways to access what you're talking about right now in 2019, and how would would we do it? How would I do it? How would they do it? How would they do it? They didn't meet Maharaji. Well, they don't know that.
1: Well, first of all, you don't think about things that way. You deal with your own issues. You uncover what's already within you. That's all you have to do. You have to overcome your own selfishness, your own greed, your own shame, your own fear, your own pride, your own manipulations of other people. You know That's what we have to do. We don't think about things like, I'm going to go get this and go get that. We try to make our lives a better place to be.
2: But do, do you think, and I think it's a really interesting question, that he had that journey in his lifetime? Did he go through that? or no, What's your name? Rachel. Rachel. Was he born that way? Well, like I said,
1: uh, oh, Jesus. That's uh, okay. Now you're, in, you're really in strange territory. Uh, okay.
2: You go wherever you want to go. You want to say Just because. <laughs> the, the simple answer
1: is, uh, yes, he was born of it. But... Uh, But, I, but he did spend many years in caves by himself meditating, or whatever he was doing. Maybe he was watching TV, I don't know. <laughs> but many years. And the idea was that he was preparing, he was once again purifying the body and, the, and the, to, to manifest that here. Not for his own sake, but for the sake of the people that uh, he was going to help. So it's just a it's such a different way of being, it's hard to discuss. It.
2: Maybe one more question, and we'll do some more music. Hi there. Um, you are?
3: My name is Nino, yeah. and uh, I'd like to ask about um, spirituality, creativity, and making a buck. Um, so like, I feel like those three things can be combined in like, many different ways. Yeah. And what I really struggle with is figuring out what configuration of those three like makes sense. Like I feel like there are so many different avenues of like combining those three things, which I would like to do, but it's hard to know what has to go down. Um, and this sounds very vague, but it's just like when you have so many like, if you feel like you have many different opportunities, how do you know which opportunity is the thing that will make you happy? Or the thing that's gonna be like, the best combination um, of those three things?
2: So you have to read the book. (laughs) The book, in the book it's like, well, Have you read the book? I started reading it, but then I got
3: stuck as, um, at the part that, you know, the first chapter that's like.
2: You got stuck at the first chapter? <laughs>
3: <laughs> rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. Um, because it said, well, think about, like, we're going to take what you want and we're going to, like, do something with it. And I just was like, I don't know what I want. so...
2: Well, there's a question, you know, the book has uh, a downloadable. Uh, you know, workbook that you fill out. And that's the key point of it. This is just my opinion about these things and my experience that I'm sharing. But really, the essential process is you walking through it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to suggest if you want to go down this path that you actually read the book and do the workbook, and then we have scheduled conversation. And I'll nurture, you. <laughs> I'll, I'll work with you on it. Because, you know, we one interesting part of this is we've had serious mentors. I mean, you, you could... You know, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of the role of, of teachers and stuff is to kind of mirror back to you what your own stuff is that's coming up, and um, we both had that, in, you know, in different traditions, and so the bar is set to a certain extent to um, to. Now, in my tradition, the guru is very mirror-like. You know, it's not so much the grandpa. When I need a grandpa, I actually talk to Maharaji, KD. When I need him, I do. I just go like, okay, if I need you know something taken care of at a very temporal level, I figure he's not going to... And here's what I say to him, KD. I say, Maharaji, this is in my head, of course, it's imaginary, sort of. Um, this is David. You know, I work for your boy, KD. And, and I'm helping him do his thing here on Earth. And I'm not asking for big things. I'm not going to ask you for big things. But, um, so for example, I asked him when we were making the record, the uh, Walla record, mm. it needed to be 74 minutes and 30 seconds long. Okay? That's,
1: technically, you can't get more on the CD, Right. that's it.
2: Now, these songs, they're not like singles. You know, a single in Kirtan is like 14 minutes and 30 seconds. You know, that's, that's a hot single. So these songs are t- 20 minutes long, and they're accelerating in tempo. You know, it's, a, it's an editor's nightmare, basically. How are you going to get a 74-minute? And I just said, look, Maharaji, I don't want to ask for something from me or something big, but could you just take care of the timing on this scene? <laughs> this is a true story. I mean, I, I know it makes me sound a little bit crazy, but that's OK. Um, and um, that's I let it go. I just went like, I'm letting it go. And we edited it musically. We just made the decisions based on the music. And then, it's in a computer, on Pro Tools, you know, and then, we just kind of, um, I did the work on it, and we made the edits, and we worked together on, like, what about this one fading out here, and that one coming on, and then, took our hands off the wheel, and the computer goes, 74 minutes, 30 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) That actually happened. So, is that a city? Who's that? Did Maharaji do that? Who did that? I don't know. Um, but, be careful what you ask for. You know, and the kind of teachers I work with don't give a lot of answers like that. They, they mirror it back to you. So um, I don't usually ask them for stuff like that. They're both, they're both out of the body, and so it's sort of... Um, but the kind of feedback I get from talking to Tronka Rinpoche in my mind is to pay close attention to what is happening right now. I've given you all the training and teachings that you need. You should use them and activate them. That's the kind of, it's a very powerful kind of non-thing. Uh, but if I need Uncle Tenus or Grandpa, I go to Maharaja's. I've asked him for a bunch of stuff. Or I ask KD. KD, you'd give me anything, right? Huh? You'd give me anything, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uncle Tenus?
2: <laughs> you, you remember what that is, right? We have some reference points that most of you are too young for.
1: Oh my god. But well, mm-hmm. let me tell you a quick story. So long before I went to India, I was hanging out with Ram Dass and we were up at the Lama Foundation in New Mexico, at this uh, big commune, a beautiful commune up there. We were up there for the whole winter. While we were there, we heard about a New York artist who had been to India and knew how to meditate. And he was living just down the mountain from the commune. So a group of us went down to meet him. His name was Herman. I don't remember his last name. So we went down to his cabin and spent a couple of hours with him. I was kind of standing and sitting in the back. I didn't ask any questions and everything. So as we were leaving, I was actually the last person to go through the door on the way out. He grabbed my arm and he looked at me and said, you, you have to find out why it is you can't give yourself a hundred percent to whatever you're doing.
2: Herman asked you that?
1: Herman. Herman. You ever see this, like, <laughs> in a taxidermy shop with like a, a squirrel on the wall? <laughs> he nailed me to the wall. That was, you know how many years ago? That was 1969. Fifty years ago. I can remember it like it's... He saw me. And that, that's been working in there all these years. Why can't I give myself hundred percent to what I'm doing. When I'm when I want to, even I can't. Mm-hmm. And it, it, that's it's been a it's like the pole star that you're guiding. You know, like on the water, and you're in a boat. You kind of go this way, but you're facing that way. You go this way. So things in life they 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 move in there and they they give us little hints about what we should do. But if if we don't do what we want. How do you find out what you want? You go after it. And then you you hit a wall at 150 miles an hour. So you put yourself together, and you go another direction. You have to live as intensely as you can, with as much courage courage as you can. And you don't hold back. And then, and that's courage, right? And that's courage. And then when you hold back, you notice that, and then you go to the therapist and find out why. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, remember Rinpoche used to say, first thought, best thought. Have you heard that one before? Have we talked about that one a little bit? We're going to talk about it this weekend a little bit more. First thought, best thought. That's cutting through all of that extra layers of discursiveness. So you can train in that.
1: That's why courage is such a big thing because nobody tells us, yeah, go do what you want. Nobody tells us that. There's a lot of, even, we don't even tell ourselves that anymore. Mm-hmm. But how do we find out? What do we want unless we try it? You know? And that takes a lot of courage. Sometimes you have to do what you have to do. Okay. But then you, if you do that, then that's what you wanted to do because it was the right thing. It's a little subtle, but.
2: So, uh, you closing arguments, as the lawyers would say. (laughs) A few closing thoughts. I I mentioned in the book this notion of pith instructions, or essential short-burst instructions. And um, it's interesting how a certain number of them agree at one point, which was when Karmapa, 16, who's, you know, part of this Tibetan Buddhist many hierarchy here, and he gave a pith instruction, you know, to one of our students in the and had a big deal, made a big deal then it, said, come here, I want to tell you something really important, you know. And he gave him an ear-whispered uh, transmission, which was, be kind to everyone. What he said, said it. And then uh, you know Maharaji has this one saying that Ramdas repeats a lot, so sort does of KD. But I think it's really Ramdas's kind of pith um, instruction to carry forward, which is um, love everybody and tell the truth. And
1: uh, <laughs> Of course Ramdas who said, the truth is I don't love everybody. <laughs> are yeah. you're looking against the Ramdas. Yeah. Love everyone and tell the truth. Yeah. So he had to get with the program.
2: So that's actually in the first chapter of this book as sort of a uh-huh. framework of you know pith instructions. Like if you can't remember the 95 things we talk about in our 100-hour training, you could work on on that one. Yeah. And I do. I, that's my um, litmus test. Really, bottom line, I'm kind of. I don't know, Katie, about you, but I feel like I'm sort of heading roughly to the finish line in, in a way in life. You know, I'm not I'm not leaving tomorrow if I can help it, but um, but if I wanted to hold out something to kind of put put on the uh, final last, famous last words, it would be those words. Um, and it's great for you know if you want to call yourself a Mahayana Buddhist practitioner, that's the instruction anyhow. You you can't. Pick and choose anymore. The meta practice that we learned, you know, here you you send out the kindness to your friends, you send it out to your neutral people, you send it out to your enemies. So it's the end of that picking and choosing who's worthy to receive this um, open-hearted uh, expression from you. And um, it's challenging as hell, you know. I mean, it's, you know, so is feed people. You know, I was walking through the streets of New York, today, thinking we're going back to the hell realms here. This is like. There's people just walking around like kind of um, with nothing and sleeping under arms and stuff. So these are challenges, not easy things. Um, but I think the way I work with it is just in the moment when I feel I'm starting to pull back and oh that's, I don't this person's annoying or whatever whatever that happens I just kind of cut it. and just giving you a little bit of a Mahayana. it. Instruction. There's a lot of ways to reverse the flow of that energy and just shift it. You can breathe in and breathe out with it, as in Tonglen type of instructions. But I I just, um, I really feel like that is a paramount for somebody to be able to say that um, and and kind of mean it. And as Katie said, teachers of that level are just giving us things to chew on. You know, we have to we have to kind of work on it. It's not going to happen overnight. So I have a tremendous appreciation. You know, I'm, uh, used to call me the Shambhala Wallah. That was my nickname. And this is this community here is, um, you know, very important part of my life, and it's my sangha also. My cousins and brothers and sisters. Um, and uh, for KD to come and kind of help support our our training and workshop here is very very meaningful. I want to thank you, Katie so much for coming along. It means a lot.
0: Thank you you so much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by the Kirtan Mala Foundation. Krishnadas is renowned for leading kirtan, the spiritual practice of chanting, and workshops around the world. For more information about him including upcoming events please visit krishnadas.com k r i s h n a d a s.com We also invite you to visit kirtanwalafoundation.org k i r t a n w a l l a h foundation.org Here you will find more offerings dedicated to spreading the teachings of Neem Karoli Baba Love everyone, serve everyone, remember God. Ram Ram